Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening I wonder if others have felt as if I have done since I took to cycling, that the old nature that one thought had long since been swept away or crushed out by the care, monotony and pleasure, pressure of work and duty that was there all along. We have had many pleasures in the way of travelling, but we have never yet experienced such exhilarating enthusiasm or such complete recreation. The woman who is neither strong nor young can throw herself free for a time into all that invigorates and renews and find that contact with nature and humanity that enriches and emancipates. Yeah, slow down a little bit. You're listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show here on Radical Radio 3CR. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now. Always great to get in touch with that other side of American political life. It is a blustery, gritty, half-dirty sort of north wind day after a couple of beautiful days that we've had before and battling into this headwind which you'll be doing on the way home. I was, I was about to say it was a beautiful morning, but I did come down with the, all that behind me. There's, there's a, You're bringing the grit and the dirt from yes. the far north. Reality. Reality. <laughs> My Hollywood bike moments just disappear. <laughs> We've got a show, just the two of us today, but we'll be chatting on a lot of things, as we always do. That quote from the beginning, I'm... Quoting Mr. Manners, uh, William Manners' book, which I'm loving at the moment because half of it is actually just first source. Yes, it's it's a great book. It's a great packed, book. Really densely packed with very good stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, and not um, some interpretation of somebody else's quote. Yeah. But actually the first source. And, but that came from the uh, woman cyclist writing into the Manchester Guardian. 
Yeah, and the book we'll just mention once more in case someone's interested is Revolution by William Manners about yeah. uh, the changes brought to Britain, social changes brought to Britain by cycling, but much of it obviously very applicable here. The same, same. Faith, we should start off with your bike moment. My bike moment. Uh, I had, despite the north wind, a a very um, bouncy, rattly ride this morning. It was, uh, you know, when there's a couple of tiny little things that go wrong and they're so small and insignificant, they're not worth fixing for their own sake. So you keep putting them off because until, and then you end up with several of them and not one of them is worth fixing for its own sake. So I've had for a while the valve on the front tyre is getting very tricky to loosen. Oh, a little bend. So I tend to... Well, it, I can't often pump up my front tyre. Yep. So I've gotten used to riding it pretty soft, especially if there's some groceries on the rack. And then at the same time, we've had a, a bike pump that's 12 years old and maybe working once every four goes. <laughs> but just as you're about to go and buy a new one, it works. <laughs> so anyway, um, I had I finally bought a new bike pump and – at the same time, there was someone around with stronger wrists who could get this valve open. And uh, so I pumped up my tyre and have been so frustrated by these two things recently that I thought I'm going to pump it up really, really make sure. <laughs> so now it's like cement. Oh, no. <laughs> and because of that, my front rack is rattling like, uh, yeah. So it was a, a very bumpy, very noisy Noisy rod. People in front of me are loving it. Yeah. Like, what's that? They kept looking over their shoulders. What is that racket? There is beauty and silence. You should find both. The bicycle. <laughs> Not mine. Speaking of putting off delays, I've got a shopping bike, which actually I ride here, which some people find. But anyway, I should move on. And obviously, a number of things go wrong with it over a period of time. And you're right. I'll get to that later. Anyway, the little st- things, they're yeah, not worth yeah, doing yeah, all yeah, by yeah. themselves. You want me to put this on the stand? You're kidding me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't possibly lift it. <laughs> so at one stage, it must have been six or eight months ago, one of the mud guard where it hooks onto the frame had come adrift on the pulling out the rear wheel of the shopping bike so I could fix the mud guard. So I put a couple of cable tyres in it. About two weeks ago, I could start hit this noise again. I go, what's that? It's not till yesterday that I looked, oh, the cable ties have broken. <laughs> that's, so, that's how long they've been there. I put the cable tie in it this morning well, before I rode here so I didn't have the rattly butt cut. <laughs> well, the one thing I did notice is investing in good tyres so that you don't get punctures. Mm. I now have two bikes where, because I've had those tubes for so long, the valves are in different ways. Ah. Just getting difficult yeah. to use. Ah. So that's, yeah. You don't want me to tell you you can buy a new valve. I, I thought of that. <laughs> I don't know, sure. Come on. This is a bike show about enjoying bicycles. <laughs> Saturday morning, it was a, the last couple of days, Saturday particularly, apart from the afternoon where it, that UV got a bit bitey. I'm riding to work. I'm coming alongside, is it Clarendon Street? I can never remember. East Melbourne runs alongside Treasury Gardens. And I drop into it and, yep. you know, there's a young fella on a single speed um, 
burning up the road. I come in from the right and I can see that I'm going to drop just in behind him as he's riding up the road. And he sort of hesitates and I say, no, no, go, go, go. I'll drop in behind you. So for the next 200 metres, that lovely broad shoulders, this young man, this bloke, he went hell for leather and I stuck to to his wheel. We got to Albert Street. I swung left, said to him, thank you, comrade. Thank you, comrade. That was wonderful. He nodded, no problem. (laughs) Needless to say, the rest of my day at work was quite peachy. (laughs) And if you're listening to this, I know you're not. I shouldn't say that since... um, um, Anyway, thank you very much. News, news, news. Oh, I have some news. Good news. Good news. Um, the as part of the level crossing removal project, um, that obviously uh, often affects bike paths, and as we've heard in the north more recently, um, it, it hasn't been a great outcome for local cyclists. Um, down in the south, maybe where there's a bit more competition for in votes. The electorates, yep. Um, it's worked really well. The Caulfield to Dandenong line has had several uh, level crossings oh, removed. Of course, yeah. And it's been done as a Skyrail project, um, which has meant that a great shared path can be purpose-built underneath for cyclists and pedestrians, which was opened on the weekend, a section of that. So the trail is called the Jerring Trail, and that name comes from the Bunurong Aboriginal language. It was, was suggested by the local Bunurong Land Council. It uh, means to join or unite. So that's a very nice uh, concept, seeing as it, this trail does unite several, uh, seven different suburbs. Um so that trail opened on Saturday and runs from Caulfield to Dandenong and it will link up to East Link. So there again, making, making another really uh, effective connection for people who are hoping to get around either for commuting or for recreational projects. And um, I know of a few people who went down to have a look and took a lot of photos and they all reported pretty favourably on it. So yeah. it's well worth checking out if you're uh, in along that trail at any point. And it makes a lot of sense because there is, to retrofit anything else around that that area, that's a high-volume traffic, Mm. you know, speedy traffic area. Yeah, Um, yeah. To retro-engineer any way other way would be, I wouldn't imagine, quite impossible. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, 12 kilometres of shared path in all once uh, it's finished. And it's, you know, it's it's not just the path. There's... um, Opens space around it, which will be planted up. And, yeah. yeah, and it'll become a pedestrian and bike, yeah. and it'll become somebody will build a climbing wall against one of the pillars and things like that. It'll yeah. it'll bring people together. Yeah. yeah. While we're talking about infrastructure, I mean everybody vividly remembers when we went through the last Victorian bicycling strategy here about six or eight months ago. Yeah. I think it was. Do you realise not one cent of that money has been spent? No. Not no, a penny. No. It's all flim flat. No, no. <laughs> Let's move on to happier things. If you didn't need any other reason apart from broken collarbones not to be a mountain biker, why don't you go to the French Alps? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Mark Sutton, a mountain biker in the France, was inadvertently shot and killed. Mm. 
It's uh, and I believe also in France, not too long ago, a trail runner Same was thing. killed by a hunter. Right. So, the, uh, <laughs> yes, mountain biking. Um, the rest of my news oh, is sorry. about um, new books. I thought we could. Yep. Can we touch on the reappearance of a, one of our old favourite guests, yep. Gregor Rockett? <laughs> 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 who we've been following his career recently. Um, people might know, might not know that um, last month, towards the end of the month, the IOC uh, reversed their ban on um, Russia actually testing their own athletes and making them um, making them clean. I mean, no, they were making them clean originally, and then they got banned. Now they're allowed to test their own um, athletes back again. I don't know where uh, Gregor is at the moment. I think he's still in protective custody in um, in America. A lot of the um, literature on this was released in a um, chart sheet in America the other week. So it's slowly just dribbling out little bit by <laughs> little, little bit. Little bit. By little bit yeah. Very funny. Um, ba, ba, ba. Now another survey that came from... Um, uh, the Australian Naturalistic Driving Study. It's a pretty kooky name yeah. for a study, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is a stu- study of 400 uh, Victorian New South drivers uh, for nearly 2 million kilometres. And it found that di- drivers are distracted 45% oh, yeah. of the time. Yeah. Goes with our figures from which we got into after uh, last uh, show about... Mm. Well, the the interesting thing about that study is that there was a camera placed in the car. Drivers had volunteered to take part in it and they knew the camera was there and it was there over the long term. So the idea was that it hopefully wouldn't affect their behaviour. I think it was either three months or six months. But um, so even then it still showed this enormous use of uh, mobile phones while driving, which is breaking the law. If, uh, not not to mention all the other reasons why you shouldn't, but, yeah, yeah people driving with it in their lap, on their knees, flicking uh, through it. Eating cereal and texting at the lights. <laughs> A silver frost is your dream. I mean, the, it's interesting when I looked at the breakdown of that Canadian university study, mobile phones were hardly mentioned in that. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not making a blanket statement no, of that, no. but they didn't highlight that as one of the things. Yep. And they were focused on eye movement yep. and about the eye movement on the road. I must go back and have another look at it. Uh, yeah. Well, um, and the other thing that also came out around the same time is that they are now trialling cameras in New South Wales that can pick up drivers who are using mobile phones. Ooh. <laughs> what you need is a connection device between the phone and the car. <laughs> so it get chip, the chip sends it straight back to head office and actually, ooh, this phone's alive and my car is moving. Um, well, there's a lot of things we could do about that. In the, um, I just came across an interesting fact the other day. If any, um, I'm going to say I've got a couple of biases about Brompton bikes, but I'll try and ride over them. I mean, I'll try and fold my biases. <laughs> they produce an electric Brompton, um, which obviously was not going to be. Um, uh, I think they've had it out for a while. But it was, it was they were always going to do it. But I came across the figures. 
Brompton make 30,000 bicycle frames a year in England. It's the, obviously the biggest bicycle builder in England. And it's a really interesting story that I think sometimes in bicycle world can happen. Yeah. Young fellow starts to design a bike that is easy to get around London and he can take to the office and fast forward 20, 30 years and here we are making 30,000 bike frames a year. They're a huge success story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of English people around the world and English descendants and they like to have that little bit of England back at them. Yes. Yes, <laughs> they do. <laughs> but why do they look so terrible riding them? You're not going to answer that, are you? <laughs> I just can't help but look at them. When you ride at Brompton, your body folds into a sort of funny shape. You don't notice this. It's all right. I'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> what other news, Faith? What other news? Well, I, the only news I have, I mean, I just thought, you know, let's focus on the good news, yep. is um, there's quite a few new bike books out at the moment. I mean, Revolution, that book yes. we mentioned earlier by William Manners, that came out, I think it was about June yep. in the UK. Um so, and there's a couple more that have just come out or are due to. Um, and I thought it's getting to around that time of year. Everyone's looking for their summer reading list. Yep. Um, I haven't had a chance to read any of these yet, um, but I thought we could uh, start compiling the list for people. Yep. Um, the first one was launched last week at Curve Cycling. It's Power of the Pedal by Rupert Guinness. Ah, this so, is... Sorry. <laughs> So Rupert had just launched not too long ago his account of the Indian Pacific Wheel Race. Um, this is a more historical overview of the 200 years of the bicycle in Australia. Ooh. And um, the 200 years comes from the bike blurb, but I'm not sure that that could be true. Um <laughs> Anyway, he looks at the history of the bike in Australia, um, covering not only its place in Australian everyday life, but also the big races, yep. um, the big classic ones. Also looking at the overlanders, uh-huh. um, the cycling clubs, the early days of uh, racing, including women's racing and the social changes the bike brought, brought for men and women in Australia. So... Uh, That'll be pretty interesting to have a look at, I think. It's um, available now in your local bookshop and if you Google it, you can probably find it online too. It's uh, Rupert Guinness' Power of the Pedal. There we go. The story of Australian cycling. I, um, I'm not sure if this one's on your list. I read a review... And the review was written by um, Gideon Haig, I think, on a new biography of Opperman. Ah. Hubert Opperman, which is ties into all those other stories as yep. well. The manufacturer, the sportsman that became yep. the first sporting celebrity in Australia, tied yep. to bicycles, of course. Ties into a couple of those endurance riders. Um, one of the female riders, Opperman, was her trainer. So, And this is the Sydney to Melbourne record? Yeah. Yep. I'm trying to remember her name. Billy Samuel? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> So interesting. She actually broke his record, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And there's a long history of women riding Melbourne to Sydney. Um, Sarah Maddox was the first documented to do so in 1894. Um, and then we had a Melbourne woman who broke her record in 1897, I think it was. And it just kept – but in between those two, there were a lot of women who did it and didn't break the record, but it just became one of those things um, – uh, there was a whole group of Melbourne women who just one after the other went up to do it, yeah. most accompanied by their husbands or brothers because that was what you did. Um, but there was one very determined woman, um, Jessie McDonald, who uh, went up to finish it with a friend and deliberately to do it without a male companion. And the friend had an accident on the first day and went home, so she completed it by herself. So this is all, you know, before in the very first few years of uh, within three years of women starting to ride bikes in Australia, we had several uh, women doing that trip. We're discovering real recreation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, histories of cycling, yes. I've got a couple more. Yeah. There's um, one that's uh, just recently come out and you can order it in Australia, but I don't think they've actually arrived on the shelves yet. Um, I know when I ordered one, it's going to arrive, I think, next week. It's called Women on the Move, and it's the story of the 1890s women who were racing. And there was this amazing thing in the 1890s, which happened in Australia too, but to a much larger extent in the United States and Europe, where women did start racing and it became incredibly popular for a lot of reasons. Um, and drew bigger crowds than the men's racing and uh, was then sort of fairly firmly stamped upon for different <laughs> social reasons. But uh, so no, obviously I haven't had a chance to read this one yet. It's by Roger Giles and uh, it's called Women on the Move, the Forgotten Era of Women's Bicycle Racing. It covers the short-lived heyday of women's professional bike racing from 1895. 1895 Five. to 1902. Two. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a story that's very similar and all the world over. So even yeah. though this does focus very much on um, the American experience, it's it's very similar to what happened here. Uh, and um, you, you now reminded me of uh, Mr. Manister. I think it's a story I can't remember an, an American woman who then went and lived in England and became very heavily involved in the racing side of women's yep. racing. Uh, fascinating stories. Yeah, there's a, there's so many fascinating stories attached to that. And um, like America, in Australia, the women's races did attract more bigger crowds. The men tended to go for very, like, they were doing six hours, eight hours, 24-hour yeah. races, and uh, it was considered impossible for a woman to do in that, you know. So they set their races as three-hour events, but what that meant was for the average working person, it was much easier to get along and watch the women's racing. Uh, and it also, because the women weren't uh, having to ride over the longer period, they could ride more aggressively uh, and, uh, you know, create a more exciting spectacle than the the endurance event. So uh, it was the combination of a whole lot of uh, set ideas and circumstances that uh, brought that about. And one last one 
Queens of Pain, The Legends and Rebels of Cycling. This is written by Isabel Best, um, and it's not out yet, but it's due very soon. And it, too, is the remarkable and largely unknown tale of women's cycle racing from the 1890s to the 1990s. So she's not stopping at 1902. (laughs) Um, And this includes riding... In North America, Europe and Australia, I know she was in touch with the Cycling Victoria History and Heritage Committee about some Victorian women. So there will be um, some local heroines included. Um, And it goes through the lives of the great champions, the stunt women and speed skaters, shop assistants and coal delivery girls who became cycling heroes. As each sort of sporting platform was shut down, they moved on to... Do something else. Yeah, yeah, something else. So a lot of tenacity and resilience there. So they all sound pretty interesting, I think. Yeah. We're actually, you know, cycling has now become... People are really looking at it, actually, where this all comes from because... You can see it in the modern media nowadays. People like English, you know, version of the Guardian, American papers, are all focused on all lot of these things. Yeah, and what it means to actually now change. In those days, it was used as a vehicle for voting. Yeah. Now it's used as a vehicle to change shitty planning in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I'm it's not... sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think it's a long bow to draw that we're using the same vehicle to do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting in the states with the elections, the the transport issue is a huge issue, that there are electorates where even if people did want to vote, there is no practical way yeah. to get to um, polling booths. So uh, that's uh, something that pops up a lot. And it's also interesting that so many of them are focusing on the women's cycling, which I think because it's been so left out. Well, it wasn't there. Other, of other cycling histories, yeah. and yet there is a huge amount of material there. So yeah. it's just been – so there's a huge chunk of material to freshly mine. If and the, look at how much more attention the Women's World Championship, yeah. you know, cycling. puts up People know now who, you know, who win those races, where yeah. they come from, all those sort of things. You're right, though. A couple Anything? of events. Yep. Okay, well, we've got Ride to Work Day coming up um, on Wednesday. And so I just picked out a couple of local uh, events you can get along to. Uh, 7.30am to 9am at Abbotsford Convent is uh, free breakfast, giveaways, bike engraving and massages. So if that's on your commute, you can also get along to the Kathleen Syme Library and Community Centre in Melbourne. Uh, where there'll also be breakfasts and bike safety checks and bike accessories to give away. Velo cycles in on the edge of Yarra and Moreland on the Capital City Trail. Are, on the cusp. On the cusp. <laughs> <laughs> are um, having their traditional breakfast and we cycle in Darabin in Batman uh-huh. Park are going to have an after-work event. So there's going to be music, ice cream, Good times, lots of stuff going on there. So that's something to hit up on your way home. Yeah, yeah. And just very quickly, also coming up on Thursday the 1st of November 
is a city cycling seminar, more cycling, safer cycling, question mark. And this has been held at the Transport, Health and Urban Design Research Hub at the University of Melbourne. It's free, but you do need to register. It runs from 10am to 12pm. And the speakers are... Chris Morrison, Assistant Professor from Columbia University in the States, Mark Stevenson, Professor at the University of Melbourne, and Brian Patterson from Urban Systems in Canada. We'll have a link up to that. Or if you Google THUD, Cycling Seminar, you'll uh, be able to find that. That's all we have time for today. 3CR relies on the support of its listeners. So if you can donate or subscribe to the station, you can do that at 3cr.org.au. Coming up next is... Jailbreak. But we can't say what we've seen And we're not little children And we know what we want And the future is certain Give us time to work it out You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.